0: book schmuck it is really tiring to be on the lam and
1: kill people are we sure about francis ford coppola are we sold on his ability to make a film
0: do it for johnny man do it for johnny
1: i wish i had a weed bat right now
0: hello and welcome to the untitled gen x podcast a podcast dedicated to the pop culture that raised us I'm Lori, a writer and pop culture lover, who's thrilled to welcome our resident cool guy, Kenny Stack, back to the pod to break down the switchblades, sunsets, and social commentary of 1983's coming-of-age drama, The Outsiders. Welcome back to the podcast, Kenny.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be back, and I think congratulations on everything. Since the last we spoke, I think we spoke somewhere maybe at the beginning of season two, and I haven't talked to you since. So congratulations. Oh, on thank you. The Patreon.
0: Yes, the Patreon. I really appreciate that. And, you know, you joined me last season to talk about the Breakfast Club. People really loved you. They responded to you. And you even played the song, Don't You Forget About Me song that I was able to share in promotion of that episode. I mean, that was a commitment. Can I count on you? to perform Stay Gold.
1: You know, I had a feeling I was going to put myself <laughs> in this position because <laughs> as anybody who knows the song Stay Gold, it's very different than Don't You Forget About Me. Indeed. From Stevie Wonder and his uh, his cadence. and And that song is amazing. I'm not saying I won't do it. It's a beautiful song.
0: Do you think so? Okay, I'm going to sound like a hater. Here, let me back up a minute. So, I have seen The Outsiders before the watch for this episode exactly one time in my life. Uh, I never read the novel. So, it's been a few years and I sat down to watch it. And my very first note was, What the fuck is this song? Because it felt like it didn't fit. At least in my memory of the film, it didn't fit. And I get it. Stay Gold. It was written for the film, Robert Frost. Stay Gold Boy. I get it. I love Stevie Wonder, don't misunderstand. I just, I don't know. I, I didn't feel it, Kenny. I didn't feel it.
1: So I'm going to go back to Stay Gold, but okay. wasn't this required reading in school? Or did you kind of, the cliff notes, is that what happened <laughs> to pass the test?
0: When do you recall reading this? That's my first question. Because I went to private school and this most definitely uh. would have been on like the no-no book list over there. So what grade were you?
1: I must have been sixth grade, seventh grade in that range.
0: Okay. So I came to public school in seventh grade. I never read this in school.
1: Interesting. So you don't recall it being on Mr. Robertson's reading required reading list. You didn't avoid it. You just didn't read it.
0: It was just never on the agenda. It was never on the syllabus, if you will.
1: Interesting. What books were on the syllabus?
0: Um in 6th grade, I don't really remember. Uh, my son was an avid reader when he was young and he was just looking for anything to read. I'm like, read Call of the Wild, read The Outsiders and and so he was just reading anything I suggested and he really enjoyed it. So after he read it, I was like, okay, let's watch the movie. And I enjoyed it. That was the first time I had seen it. But I want to know, what is your history with the film? Obviously you read the novel.
1: When did you see the movie? If my memory serves me correct, because my memory maybe is similar to yours, it's not the greatest. (laughs)
0: It's not so great.
1: (laughs) You know, and and as we touched on in the last podcast, there's a lot of stuff that contributes to that memory not being that great.
0: (laughs) Drinking with rock star sisters?
1: (laughs) Yes. Stuff like uh, along that line. But (laughs) I have an older sister and she's three years older than me, so- My first memory of it is my sister going bananas over this movie. A friend from across the street, she brought a VHS, but it was recorded off of select TV or on TV. On
0: TV. Oh my God. Yes.
1: So it was one of those tapes. So it was brought over to our house and my sister and a couple of her friends, I remember them watching it in the front room. And um, I was the little brother just kind of passing by and seeing what these preteen girls were screaming about. And it was this movie, The Outsiders. And I hadn't read the book yet. I was all of eight. I was watching over the shoulder and through the course of the next year or so, I probably caught it a few times because I think my sister watched it a lot. I mean, how could she not, right? I mean, you've got the pretty boys in C. Thomas Howell. It's
0: a beautiful cast.
1: (laughs) It's a beautiful Truly
0: beautiful cast of young men. Yes. I mean, and I was going to ask you, do you think she was watching it because she really loved the movie so much or she was watching it because she really loved the heartthrobs so much?
1: I think it was a little from column A, a little from column B. I think she was definitely into the the heartthrob side of it. I don't think she was screaming about uh, Francis Ford Coppola's directing style, you know, I don't think that she wasn't
0: work. screaming for stay gold by Stevie Wonder.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now see that we got to get back to that eventually. <laughs> anyway, so that's how I first started watching it. And um, from that point on, I would see it a million times, right? I would eventually read the book like we were so- talking about. And uh, it's just it's one of these films that even when I would be at high school, it was something that just would keep coming back and just you would. Talk about it. I I would meet people who it meant a lot to them too. And I don't know, it was just this this like touch point of my childhood, my early adulthood. Absolutely.
0: You had mentioned in the Breakfast Club episode that you had borrowed style inspo from John Bender. So did the style of the greasers appeal to you?
1: A little bit. I think not so, not as much as the Bender style. The Bender style was hip and cool and of the time. Yes. So, you know, borrowing from a film that is supposed to be taking, taken from 1965, it was kind of a stretch, but I can say that from a, from a clothing perspective, no, but from a coolness, like a vibe, a vibe of maybe the, the, the smoking vibe. I mean, not that I was smoking at eight, but <laughs> the smoking vibe and, The Dallas Winston cool and... Yes. Something along those lines was was definitely something. And not to mention, it was the easiest Halloween costume... Me and my friends would dress up as greasers in sixth grade, seventh grade, and then again in eighth grade because it was just an easy costume.
0: It is an easy costume. My son did it in high school. He was a greaser in high school for Halloween one year. My husband went through a really big rockabilly phase in the mid-90s and, you know, slick back hair, the white t-shirts, the boots, the jeans, the whole thing, the wallet chain, the, the whole vibe. It's timeless. It is timeless. It it certainly had a resurgence in the 90s, I can tell you. Right. But it was cool. And stylistically, the film definitely has a style and a vibe to it. It felt nostalgic. It's so highly quotable.
1: If I were to believe Rotten Tomatoes, and I don't, but it's Mm -hmm. it's obviously some kind of baseline, it didn't resonate with the critics. I think it has like a 63% on Rotten Tomatoes.
0: I think it's a 63. I think I remember seeing that. I thought that there were times when the acting just wasn't very good. Mm. Yeah.
1: Shots fine. Not that the
0: story wasn't good. No, we'll get into it. As we said, the film is based on a book, but the book was written by a 15-year-old girl. Did you know that?
1: You know, I did. It's phenomenal to think, right? 15 years old writing Amazing. this book. Yep. I mean, at 15, what was I doing at 15?
0: <laughs> Drinking with rock star sisters.
1: <laughs> trying to, having a fake ID trying to go to Fridays, but yeah, not writing a book, a novel. I mean.
0: So the way the book came about was S.E. Hinton. Her name is Susan Eloise Hinton. She loved to write as a teenager, and she was really frustrated by the lack of great storytelling in young adult novels, right? Okay. And so- she lived in Oklahoma and like all the books in the young adult genre were like all about, you know, the cheerleader and the football player and she's like this is not me. I'm tired of reading about this. There's more than this. Yep. And so she wrote a manuscript. It somehow got to her friend's mom who read it thought it was just so amazing. And the mom had connections in the publishing world. Mm. So all of a sudden, publishing world gets this manuscript. They think it's fantastic. And I think it's published by the time she's 17. Wow. And the publisher had her use her initials because they were afraid of gender bias. Okay. Because the novel is written from the point of view of a teenage boy. And so they didn't want people to discredit the novel if they had known it was written by a female, a young woman. Oh, wow. And so eventually the book, it made its way into the public school system. Like you were saying, Yep. it ended up selling over 14 million copies. So it did really well. But the story about how the novel became a film is really amazing. I'm going to tell it to you that you're going to love this story. This is incredible. There was a librarian named Ellen Misakian, and she worked at the Lone Star School in Fresno. And the students loved the book so much that together with the students at the school, she put together a petition Along with this cover letter about how much they all love the book and how, how much they all wish this would be made into a film. She had something like 15 pages of signatures from the student body. She sent it off with a copy of the novel to Francis Ford Coppola. He received it and he was so moved by the letter and he was like, I'm going to do this for you. That's crazy. And he did. I love that story so much. It's just so It's so homegrown. It's so organic. It's lovely. That idea that someone as famous as Francis Ford Coppola, I mean, Apocalypse Now, Godfather, a true legend.
1: And I wonder if he has that. It'd be amazing to have those 15 pages of signatures as a and auction it for charity or something, or just have it on the wall.
0: I saw a copy of the original letter. I didn't see the signature pages, but I do know that after the film came out, they did a screening at the school. And I think some of the actors went, I think Francis Ford Coppola went.
1: And that's great. Like At that point, Tom Cruise wasn't Tom Cruise. And no. Rob Lowe wasn't Rob Lowe. Nope. I think Nat Dillon had done a couple things prior, but you know, these guys weren't a big deal, but it is a big deal for Francis Ford Coppola to go, I'm going to do this and essentially cast
0: Uh, unknowns. Yeah, it's amazing.
1: There's not a a star to carry the film per se. I mean, Matt Dillon, I think he did Tex, another S.E. Hinton novel before this, but Ralph Macchio, he hadn't done, I don't know if he'd done anything at that point, maybe commercials or maybe Mm -hmm. one or two smaller films, but. And we know he wasn't the Karate Kid yet, so
0: not till eighty four. Yeah,
1: which I'm going to make a note. I got to go. I got to circle back around when we start getting into Ralph Macchio because in an earlier podcast, I was absolutely fascinated by your story about Ralph Macchio and the Karate Kid. So that maybe we'll wait when we start talking about the actors. But remi- I'm just throwing that out there to remind myself. Ask Lori about the Karate Kid and the anxiety. <laughs> the Karate Kid. The,
0: the mental breakdown I had about yes. that film. Yeah. Okay. So this film was released on March 25th, 1983. The budget was $10 million. In the box office, it has made $33.7 million.
1: That doesn't seem as much as I would think. I don't know. In my mind, maybe because it's such a big deal to me, I'm thinking, why? I, it should be higher than that. I and don't it is know. so
0: truly iconic. I mean, everybody no. knows it.
1: I don't know what version you watched. Did you watch the complete novel version, the Francis Ford Coppola director's cut?
0: I don't believe I did.
1: Okay, we'll go through it.
0: Yeah, we will talk about that. There were some distinct differences between the theatrical release and the complete novel version with 22 extra minutes of footage. Yes. Yes.
1: When I buckled down to watch it again, I had not seen the complete novel version.
0: Oh, nice.
1: So you can imagine the surprise. I threw the TV off the stand. I said, I don't remember this crap. This isn't The Outsiders. This is bullshit. This is too true to the book. Right. <laughs> book schmuck.
0: I want the radio edit.
1: <laughs> I want the version that I watch on that VHS with my sister's friends over.
0: With the squiggly lines, poor picture quality.
1: <laughs> All, you know, 8-bit, whatever sound was coming out. Like, I don't want this... So I was a little confused, but yeah, th- those extra 22 minutes, it's huge. It's a big deal. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. it changes a lot of things in that movie for me.
0: That was the film Coppola wanted to put out, but the studio was like, no, the target demo is teenagers and this film is too long. The studio actually thought the audience wouldn't be able to hang in those extra 22 minutes. Yep. Yeah.
1: It's too on the nose. With this, it was like, oh, those soshes and oh, we hate them. And you know what happened? They were just, it was too on the nose of setting the table of what was to come. Like didn't leave it to the viewer's imagination to kind of put together, like, how did they get to this point?
0: Oh, so you felt like maybe it was almost like they were underestimating the audience.
1: Yes. I think when they, when they hit it too, and I'm going to keep saying this phrase on the nose until I think of something <laughs> else, there was these scenes where. Soda and Pony are like sleeping in the same bed and they they have these whole, oh, this is, you didn't even see this version. You, you saw the or normal Or maybe
0: version. I did because I did see them spooning. I have a note. Did I see the 22 extra minute version?
1: You did. And not know it? You did. See?
0: I guess I watched the complete novel. You did. And you know, I have to say, there were times I was a little bit bored. Maybe, maybe the studio was right. Maybe hanging in those extra 22 minutes was rough for me.
1: When we cover the poor acting parts or the parts you felt were poor. Act-
0: <laughs> Maybe those were cut.
1: I have a strong feeling because I had that same note on mine going, hmm, this is a little rough. Oh,
0: interesting. I didn't think that was the version I saw, but I, I did indeed see them spooning in bed, which we will, <laughs> we will get
1: to. <laughs> well, we'll get into it. but
0: Okay, let's start. Let's start. Yeah. We, we clearly have so much to talk about here. Yeah. The opening credits, we get to hear probably the whole...
1: The whole song stay gold. Which I love. Nostalgia, first of all, means a lot and it it affects me in a lot of ways. But when the harmonica starts and it's just that song, because I have such vivid memories of it, I, I'm like brought to tears. That's I mean, no, I'm you're I'm, like
0: moved.
1: I'm moved. It's like weeping.
0: i weepy was not <laughs> moved. I, I was the opposite of moved. You were
1: moved to mute the to <laughs> yes. mute it. Like gonna, I was
0: moved to fast forward.
1: Yeah, I have this note that it's just—I don't know—it melts my heart. I, I get weepy like when I when I hear it. Wow, you know,
0: it did not elicit that emotional response.
1: All right.
0: So in the film, we open on Ponyboy Curtis, played by C. Thomas Howell. He's a young kid. He's like what, fourteen? Yep. He's writing an essay, and the title of it reads "The Outsiders." Now, Ponyboy's voiceover says. When I stepped out into the bright sunlight from the darkness of the movie house, I only had two things on my mind, Paul Newman and a ride home. And we see all of this play out. So he's leaving the movie theater and a maroon Corvair follows him. These guys jump out of the car and he gets into a scuffle with them. These kids, they're known as the socias. That is short for socials. So they're like blue blood type preppy kids and they've got money and you know polo shirts or what does he call it madras yes madras
1: mustangs and madras and there's no google back in 1983 so madras i'm a kid going what the hell's i mean i
0: had to google what's a madra
1: yeah that's a tough one
0: pony he's a greaser and the greasers are Basically, the tough kids of like the poor working class families, and a lot of these kids come from broken homes. So the greasers are obviously known for their greasy hair.
1: I always wondered at the time, like, how do you get your hair? I didn't know. Like, there was Depp out at the time, and there was uh, Moose, but there wasn't grease. So I remember as a kid going, "I want grease," and I think my dad was like maybe three flower i mean tres flores you know or or pomade
0: pomade
1: and i tried pomade and it worked but i wasn't very popular for wearing pomade in my hair at the time cuz it wasn't cool and i wasn't i wasn't a gangster so
0: <laughs> so one of the socias pins pony to the ground and they cut off a lock of his greasy hair his beloved greasy hair with a switchblade and they also cut his neck a little to make a point point. and pony boy is you know he's pinned down he's screaming And that's when his older brothers come out to rescue him. This is Daryl, a.k.a. Derry, played by Patrick Swayze. Soda Pop, played by Rob Lowe. And the rest of their little gang that's rounded out by Johnny Cade, Ralph Macchio. And recently released from jail, Dallas Winston, Dally, a.k.a. Dally, played by Matt Dillon. Steve Randall, which is Tom Cruise in his sleeveless jean jacket. And very different teeth, by the way. And Two-Bit Matthews, played by Emilio Estevez in his Mickey Mouse Muscle Tee. And they chase the Sochas off. So, yeah, this is an all-star young Hollywood cast. Truly amazing that they all went on to have huge careers.
1: As we go through it, I'll tell you where the original theatrical actually opens. Because uh, this ain't it.
0: What? This is This is 22 minutes stuff? This
1: is part of your 22 minutes your Beloved 22 Minutes, my beloved 22
0: Minutes. No, okay.
1: You, know, you you see the whole cast in the first seven minutes yes. of the movie, which again, that's just part of my, oh, gee, they're all here.
0: So apparently the audition process for this film was unlike anything that the actors had ever previously experienced. And Frank Roos, R-O-O-S, this guy was in charge of casting with Coppola. They would audition up to 30, 30, like a classroom, 30 actors at a time in various scenes. And then out of these big giant auditions, they would like cherry pick out the actress that they like the most. And legend has it that once Matt Dillon auditioned for the role of Dallas, Francis Ford Coppola told him, okay, you can leave. And he was like, oh shit, man, I didn't get it. It was actually the opposite. Francis Ford Coppola was like, that guy nailed it. He's Dally. He's got the part. And so he was really surprised to find out that he
1: actually nabbed the role. To go back to the audition of 30 people, having my share of auditions, it's tough because, especially when you're wanting to get into a character, or if you're going in with a character, you're seeing their interpretation of it, and then you're second-guessing your interpretation, Mm -hmm. and then you start getting all in your head, and that would be the hardest part. I guess I don't immediately see the benefit of putting an actor through it, I'd like hazing them in that way that says it's going to get them a better performance. Right. I, maybe I'm missing it. I mean, I'm questioning Francis Ford Coppola, so I don't know. <laughs> but
0: He's like, Kenny, I've got it under control. Relax.
1: <laughs> it's like, trust me on this, this one, would you?
0: So we learned that Daryl, Soda Pop, and Boy these are three brothers, they lost their parents in a car accident. So Daryl... The oldest, he's basically been appointed as the guardian of Soda Pop and Pony Boy, as long as these kids are able to stay out of trouble. So it's a lot for Derry. He's often very hard on Pony Boy because he cares. You know, he's in that parental role. Yeah. This is when Pony and Soda are in bed spooning. Now you're telling me this scene was not part of the original film. This is where Soda tells him, Daryl is hard on you because he loves you. He has a lot of responsibility.
1: This isn't part of it. So you don't even know any of this stuff in the original. I don't know how necessary it is. You're trying to depict that they don't have a lot of money. They have these single or twin beds or whatever. They're both having to sleep in it.
0: There was actual spooning action, which was strange to me. And they're a physical family. They hug quite a lot. And I thought that was just so lovely to show between brothers. There's genuine Love and affection between them, especially because they don't have their parents anymore. They're really yeah. all they have. But they could be two brothers sharing a bed, just having a conversation. Didn't necessarily think that they needed to spoon. I just,
1: didn't. I agree. I, and I would argue, you know, spooning is overrated. I mean, you know,
0: it's hot.
1: You're feeling a little trapped.
0: Yes. So, like, let know, me live. I brother to
1: brother, you know, whatever. I need a little space.
0: If the pandemic taught us nothing, it's that we need some space. (laughs) Okay. The next day, is this where the theatrical release picks up?
1: I don't know. You got to tell me what that scene is.
0: Dally, Johnny, and Ponyboy meet up to hang out at the drive-in, but it's early and they need to kill some time.
1: Yes. That is how the scene opens. It opens and Dally's leaning up against a light pole. He's lighting his cool cigarette.
0: Yes, he lit it on his leather jacket. That was super cool. I made a note. And yeah. later he lights it on his like pendant that he's wearing, like a necklace. That was yes. badass.
1: It was. It was totally badass. And that's, that's how the theatrical version opens. As you can imagine, I mean, you're like, we're in for something. Like, I don't know what, but we're in for something. And to see.
0: That's wild because that was like, I don't know, 12 minutes of film.
1: Yes. And you see, you don't know who's whom. And it's like, you see uh, Dally just, and he's. Uh, and they they're playing the Van Morrison slash Them song Gloria. Uh-huh. I don't know if you caught that. Yeah, it's just, I did. It's just this rocking song, and Van Morrison's just his voice is just great. And you're like, we're in for something cool,
0: right?
1: And yeah, he lights the cigarette, and they they meet up, and
0: yeah, and they said, well, you know what what should we do? How should we kill time? And and that's when Dally has the coolest line ever, mm-hmm. and he says, nothing legal.
1: Yeah, let's get out of here. It's just iconic, and that was the opening scene from the theatrical version. Oh, so again, I like
0: that so much better.
1: I know. I know. And somebody, oh. they were smart.
0: At this point, you don't even know that Ponyboy has two brothers. Nope. They go to the gas station, fight erupts. Where are they?
1: I don't think it was at the gas station where the fight breaks out. I think it's um, like a cafe somewhere, like a someplace. And then there's a fight and then they got to get out of there because somebody pulls a blade and the cops come. But then there's that scene, I think it happens afterwards, where they stop by the gas station where Soda and Steve work. This is the introduction of Soda and Steve.
0: The three of them sneak into the drive-in, and this is when we meet good girl Cherry, Diane Lane. She's a soche. We see her yell at her date, Bob. She gets out of his car. She's frustrated because he's trying to get too fresh with her, Kenny.
1: Fresh. Yeah. And that's Leaf Garrett, or Leaf Garrett. Leif but,
0: Garrett, yes. yes. Who, at the time was the big star in this film. Right. Right.
1: He's the name.
0: Yeah. So she's frustrated with Bob and she and her friend end up sitting on the bleachers in front of Dallas Pony Boy and Johnny.
1: More shocking is the, that there's seats. Apparently that was a thing. That's news to me, maybe in Oklahoma, but
0: not in Azusa where I used to go.
1: Not that drive in. There was a playground. I don't
0: remember that.
1: No, there was a swing set. You could walk to the front and you can like swing on swings and not watch the movie that your parents paid, (laughs) you know, $2 for whatever.
0: Tired of being in the car,
1: tired of being in the hatchback, the 72 hatchback green Hornet.
0: That's right. So Dallas comes on to cherry very, very aggressively. He's touching her hair. He's whispering in her ear. Yes. It's all very suggestive and uncomfortable. And, she gets pissed and she stands up to him. And this, Kenny, reminded me very much of John Bender and Claire in The Breakfast Club.
1: 100%. I had that note. And Diane Lane has red hair like Molly Ringwald has red hair. What's I going was on? like
0: John Hughes.
1: If I'm to believe the internet, and we know it never lies, Judd Nelson, I think, auditioned for Matt Dillon's role.
0: <gasps> Did he? Yeah. I could definitely see it. I'll tell you, there are some real common threads throughout both of those films. We'll get into it as we go further.
1: This is essentially where the movie starts in the theatrical version. You're meeting Johnny Pony and Dowie, then you're meeting Soda and Steve. You're just kind of meeting them one at a time, and then we meet Cherry. But the scene where Dallas puts his feet on the chair and he falls out of his chair, according to lore, that was not... Intentional. It was an accident, but they kept it in. And at some point, see Thomas Howe is laughing. He's genuinely laughing. He kind of looks at the camera because he thinks
0: like it's not a take. Yeah. It's not a
1: take, but they keep it and it works brilliantly.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: How he falls out of the chair is so (laughs) slow. (laughs) It's, it's, it's so line.
0: embarrassing, you know, and here he's trying to save face and be a tough guy, but she does not play. She has a voice and she uses it. And I appreciate that. I mean, she tells him, get lost hood.
1: But he does this line after she says, get lost hood. He does this line. And he says, sorry, I didn't know. I didn't know you had this problem with yelling in my face. <laughs> and he gets up. He's all right. I get it. And how he delivers it is just so brilliant. I didn't know you had this problem with yelling in my face.
0: That could so easily be a John Bender line. Yes. So Cherry and her girlfriend, they're chatting it up with Ponyboy and Johnny, and they're all getting along great. Dallas returns with sodas and snacks and stuff. And
1: he has bought her a soda. He sits down next to is her. Is this as his opposed peace
0: to, offering? Is this an olive branch?
1: I guess so. And he hands it to her. He's smoking his cigarette. He goes, here you go. He's, I got you this. That I might cool you off. And then he sits next to her versus behind her. And that's when she throws the soda in his face. But I thought that was a, that's a bold move.
0: And he goes to charge at her.
1: Oh, that's right.
0: He's pissed. And Johnny stops him. That's like, right. Who does that? So this, this is what I'm thinking. I'm like between Tubit bit and Dally. They have more in common with the socias than they think, because Bob over here is trying to get fresh with her. I mean, poor Cherry has been through a lot tonight. Let the girl be. Let her just enjoy the movie. Why is everyone touching her?
1: She's just trying to watch Beach Blanket Bingo and mind her own business.
0: She's a pretty girl. Leave her alone. Does not give you the right.
1: And Marsha's, and nobody's even advancing on Marsha. I mean, what's what's the <laughs> is deal that with her that her real name? That's her name.
0: I just wrote girl.
1: What's funny is I have memories of that when I was in sixth or seventh grade, because I'd always try to recreate the movies that I'd seen, especially as it pertains to girls. And I remember I had this friend and she was a girl. She was just a really good friend of mine. And I had this crush on this other girl, but I would talk to my my friend about, yeah. And then, you know, we could go to the movies and then like, you could be, Marsha and she could be Cherry. Years later, she'd joke and she'd say, Yeah, remember you made me Marsha?
0: You wanted her to be your wing woman?
1: <laughs> yes, something, like that. something <laughs> like that. She laughed, but I think it's kind of insulting. You made me Marsha.
0: You made me Marsha. How could you? So funny. Oh my gosh. Insulting. Cherry and Pony Boy go to like the concession stand. And this is when they start talking like very openly about the harsh realities of their respective groups. Pony thinks that the greasers have it the hardest because they don't come from privilege. They're in a different social class. They're often assumed to be bad kids. Cherry assures him that the socias have their fair share of problems too that he couldn't even understand. And so again, this brings us back to the breakfast club. It's the exact same thing between John and Claire, right? He thinks she has it so easy and she's like, I don't. Right, Kenny, let me ask you this. Yeah. Who do you think has it harder?
1: Oh, well, I'll always say the greasers have it harder. Me too. I mean, uh, there's the basic fundamentals that you, you need, which if you don't have them, it's really tough on just a basic fundamental need just to survive.
0: I mean, we could talk all the way down to something like food and housing insecurity. Right. I mean, this is real shit, not just, oh, did you get into your Ivy League college and disappoint your your parents, you know, right. and, 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 that's real. And it's certainly real for the kids who, who live it, but they're not fighting for their very survival every day.
1: Right. It's hard because they can't discount one over the other. I mean, it's, it's their reality. And, right. But that's not to say that she doesn't have concerns or pain or, or hurt. It's just a different type. And I can see where pony and those guys are going like, Oh, please. Like, you know, Wow. You know, so tough. I'm taking the bus. You're having to ride in your car. Maybe you, you, you get the gas in it. You know, your Mustang. Mm-hmm. You got to put gas in it. But you can always say somebody has it harder than you. But it's when you're in it, especially if you're a kid, it's it's very real.
0: It's very real. And when you're a kid, your life feels like it's gonna be that way forever. And the reality of it is, for the socias, they have choices there you go. after they graduate, whereas the greasers for anyone in that situation with terrible broken home or abusive parents or whatever you know just poverty getting out incredibly difficult if not nearly impossible right their choices are so so limited i would argue all day every day the greasers have it harder
1: yeah i agree just your options, your choices.
0: For like social mobility. Right. So limited. So, okay. After the movie, Tubit Johnny, and Ponyboy are walking home, I guess, together with the girls. This is when Cherry's boyfriend, Bob, 70s teenage heartthrob, Mike Garrett, <laughs> and his band of socias pull up. Bob is wasted, and he's super pissed that Cherry is with the greasers. And this is when two bit smashes a bottle and he's like ready to fight when Bob gets really demanding with cherry to get in the car and two bit. I swear, tell me if I wrote this down wrong. He said, it was kind of a throwaway line. He said, <laughs> he said, I pity the back seat.
1: Yes. It was awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. I I, I was going to tell you, if you didn't mention it, I was going to say it. It's great. That is a good move.
0: was So funny. So. Cherry, she agrees to leave with stupid drunk Bob just to de-escalate the situation. But before she does, she pulls Ponyboy aside to apologize. And she says, look, if I see you in school and I don't say hi, please don't take it personal.
1: Right out of Breakfast Club.
0: Right out of Breakfast Club. Right Mm -hmm. out of Will We Be Friends on Monday. Exactly. And then she says, I hope I never see Dallas Winston again. If I do, I'll probably fall in love with him.
1: I know even after the Breakfast Club podcast, I think you were talking to somebody and you guys were getting into the toxic male syndrome and how this person you were conferring with, she was saying, We all we all have our experiences with these toxic males and blah blah blah. And it's a thing, right? I mean, that happens to good I don't want to say good girls. That sounds like I'm talking about little kids, but yeah, it happens to young ladies, right? I mean it happens to it
0: happens to smart women and um what is it? It's a, boy, that's a loaded question. We can unpack that for ages.
1: I have my theories, but it's like, it's a guy's theory. It's like, I don't know.
0: I certainly can't speak for all women, but I think it often comes down to a confidence that is attractive when really it's probably rooted in some sort of narcissism that is Obviously, a giant red flag and really dangerous. And there's a danger element to it, too. I get the feeling that Dally is sort of infamous in the community. Everyone probably knows that he is fresh out of the clink and um, he's good looking and he's confident. And there's something that's attractive about that, albeit dangerous and, and just not a good idea, particularly for someone who has so many options available to her, right? She has choices in her life, whereas Dally really doesn't. And so that's why we call those, you know, heart-shaped red flags, because it's just, it's not a good idea.
1: And I think if I might speak for all women, no, that, that, I'm not going to go down <laughs> Do that it, road. Kenny. <laughs> There's an attraction, to, like you said, to that confidence and taking it a step further, that confidence of where it's like the rules don't apply to me. So right. that's kind of like cool in certain aspects. But what ends up happening is that you'll find if the rules don't apply on cer- in certain areas, they're not going to apply in other areas, too. And if you want... That matter. Yeah. If, yeah,
0: Or even in, in terms like of the most basic things like consent, the way he was right. handling her however he wanted. And she was like, hey, no. Trying to establish some boundaries with him and having to meet him in his aggression for him to right. even understand that the answer was no. Like she was saying, no, leave me alone. No, no, no. And it's not until she dumps a soda on him that he's right. like, okay, fine. And then what? He probably thinks she's a bitch because she did that. When in fact she had said no 10,000 times and he just didn't care. Not to keep bringing it back to the breakfast club. But again, it's that attraction between Claire and John. Yep. So as the boys approach Johnny's house, they can hear his parents fighting Johnny does not want to go home to that. So he's like, I'm just going to head off to, I don't know, the lot or whatever vacant space until the things lot. cool down. And so Ponyboy joins him and Johnny says, I can't take much more of this Ponyboy. I'll kill myself for something. There must be someplace without greasers and socias, a place where there's just plain ordinary people. And I didn't think in this moment, that the acting was very good here. I'm sorry, Ralph Macchio. You know how much I love you.
1: I, I thought Macchio did okay. See, Thomas Howell, he plays a good sort of just kid. I guess he, he plays a good kid. When he's given the speech and it's got that bad angle where you know he's got the double chin and he's given the speech <laughs> about ordinary people and he repeats the word people. I always thought that was cool. Ordinary people, people. It didn't rub me the way it, it rubbed you, I suppose.
0: I guess the missing element for me is Things are so bad for Johnny that he wants to kill himself. I don't understand how bad things are for Johnny. Okay. I heard his parents fighting. Right. It's bad enough that he doesn't want to go home. Is he abused by his family? Are the fights explosive and abusive within his household? Maybe. I don't know. They didn't tell us that. Is the fighting between the socias and the Greasers so bad that he's Like, I can't take it anymore. Like, I don't have context for him, which was why I didn't believe the line.
1: Okay. Yep.
0: Clearly, he's so deeply affected by everything. I just wish I knew more. I don't know anything about him. Yep. But this is a very interesting bit of trivia. In an effort to make things even more divisive on set between the socias and Greasers, Coppola gave the cast, you know, who played the socias, better hotel accommodations than the greasers. He gave them leather bound copies of the script. (laughs) The greasers just got like their dumb paper copies. And he insisted that the actors remain separated and confined to their respective groups throughout filming. So they were not all hanging out, getting to know each other and being buddy, buddy. He definitely wanted to create the huge divide.
1: Very interesting. From what I read, they were in the, these hotels, slash they were on set for three months or something to that effect, and horsing around and getting in all sorts of trouble. I and mean, you can imagine, <laughs> right? I mean all
0: these young guys, so much testosterone. I mean, come on now. I mean, Rob Lowe turned 18 on this movie set. It's crazy. I know. So in the lot, Pony Boy falls asleep. He wakes up from his nightmare and realizes, oh shit, I fell asleep. I need to hurry home. So he gets home at 2 a.m. and Derry is pissed because they are worried and he's super harsh with Pony and he pushes him when he gets mouthy, but it was like entirely way too aggressive and he didn't mean to push him that hard and he's so upset and he just runs away. And Daryl's, you know, trying to apologize to him, but Pony's out the door. Pony runs back to Johnny and tells him, come on, Johnny, we're running away. And I realized this is the point where everything just goes so south. I think we can blame literally everything that happens from this point on on Pony Boys' decision to run away. Yep. It's freezing outside. The boys have not planned <laughs> for a proper runaway. <laughs> they do not have snacks or jackets. <laughs> As they head to the park and soon a blue Mustang arrives. Oh shit, it's the soshas. And they're still pissed about the whole cherry thing on top of everything else. Soon there's a confrontation and the socias say to Pony, you know what greasers are? White trash with long greasy hair. And Pony Boy says, you know what socias are? White trash with Mustangs and Madras.
1: There we go. The Madras. And Bob does the line, white trash with long greasy hair, and then he throws a little bit of his flask whiskey, assuming it's whiskey. Uh, you know, like, and, uh-huh. and Pony Boy kind of winces. And that's when he delivers his Mustangs and Madras line and then spits on him, which then starts the get him.
0: Again, case. his his fault. Pony, what you doing? <laughs> Johnny's thrown onto the grass. And while the Sochas are all focused on like trying to drown poor Pony, Johnny whips out his switchblade. And he does what he has to do to save his friends. I mean... They, I don't know if they were just trying to scare him or if they were legit trying to kill him. They were probably just trying to scare him, but they were going to kill him.
1: You figure if he's been drinking whiskey and they're all riled up, you wouldn't trust them with the button to start a nuclear war at that point because you no. don't know what's going to happen. No. So he, they all hold Pony underwater five seconds too long. It's gonna, it's not going to end That's right. It. So, yeah, you don't know. And I think going back to Pony Boy and his spitting and his Mustangs and Madras there comes a time, and I don't know how many times you've been in this situation, but I've been in this situation where you realize that no matter what I do, I'm not getting out of this one. Like there's no uh, there's no getting out of this. So okay. you decide like how bad is it gonna be? I don't know, but you're not they're not gonna be like, oh, you know what, just kidding. Just you know, all right.
0: <laughs> LOL.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, you guys can go.
0: I mean, they could have run.
1: Right. In defensive ponies it, and Johnny. They should have run and, you know.
0: Yeah. So Johnny kills Bob. And in that really cool, special, special effect, we get the blood across the screen. So Bob is left in a pool of blood all alone. The Sosha's just bolted because they're assholes who, uh, whatever. And uh, Johnny's like, yeah, I killed him. I had to. And they might have killed you. And this is when Ponyboy vomits. Yes. Yeah, that That's a very human reaction to that. Sure.
1: I thought that was very realistic of them to to add that.
0: I did too. So the boys decide they need to find Dally because he is fresh out of jail. He will know what to do. And they go to, I guess, the house where he's staying and there's a party going on. There's a cameo by Tom Waits there. You clock that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is when Johnny says, (laughs) I wish I had a weed now.
1: Yes. A weed. Yeah. (laughs) I wish I had a weed bat now. It's classic. I love it.
0: Dallas gives Johnny a gun and fifty bucks and tells them, "You guys need to jump a train to Windricksville and hide out in an abandoned church until things cooled down." He knows that the police are going to be all over this because it was a soche. I mean, let's be realistic, and we could take this to today's social issues if we wanted yeah. to. But yeah, this was going to garner a lot of attention.
1: So what I thought was cool. In this scene, when they run up to, it's like a bar. I guess I don't know it's what like a it bar is. Bar house? It's a bar house? House, house like,
0: party? A bar in know. a house? Yeah,
1: with Tom Waits. You got built-in <laughs> entertainment. I know. As Dallas is walking them through, he goes, Pony, are you wet? Now take the shirt off." You know, he gives him a dry shirt. He right. catch pneumonia. It's sort of showing that sort of side of him that he's he takes care of these the younger guys. So he takes care right. of. Right when John. he
0: had established earlier that he hates kids.
1: Yeah, that's right. That 52 pickup. <laughs>
0: right. You know. He hates kids. Yeah. So Johnny and Ponyboy do as Dallas says, and they make their way to the church in the morning and they fall asleep because it is really tiring to be on the lam and kill people. <laughs>
1: you had to love that boxcar jump. And it's like, gosh, those are the days.
0: Those were the two <laughs> are jumping trains. Those yeah, jumping trains, man. <laughs> The next morning, Ponyboy wakes up alone, and he hears someone, and he goes and he hides, but phew, it's just Johnny, who comes back. He had made his way to the store. He came back with cigarettes, bread, bologna, peanut butter, cards, peroxide, and the book, Gone with the Wind.
1: And that scene, is that's what part of the 22 minutes that was not in the original
0: theater. Oh, really?
1: The original cut's right to... The close up of Johnny putting the crate down and then unpacking the.
0: That works just fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he brought him Gone with the Wind because he knew Pony Boy wanted to read it. Their little friendship is very sweet. Yes. Johnny thinks they need to cut their hair and dye Pony Boy's hair blonde so that they won't fit the description of the kids wanted for Bob's murder. But my question is why are they only dyeing Pony Boy's hair and not Johnny's? Pony Boy didn't even kill Bob.
1: Johnny did. Well,
0: I do understand. Pony is the one that needs to stay gold and he has the ooh, gold hair and there's this whole gold that. connection. Still. He wasn't the one that did the stabbing.
1: So I've had 30, almost 40 years to think about this. <laughs> have you been thinking
0: about it this whole time?
1: Thinking about it this whole time. So my thought is a couple of things, cutting the hair with a switchblade. Yes. I've tried that. Not with the switchblade. You have with,
0: tried that.
1: Not with the switchblade. I've you know, didn't get my hands on a switchblade, but with a knife, like a buck knife.
0: And it looked like shit after you did it because it's a knife.
1: You're right. Only did a couple areas. Okay. Not the whole thing. So I have to try that just to see how it hurt.
0: Try that on for size. Yeah. Because it hurt. Right. They
1: were, yeah. They're like, ah, oh. Pony's like, oh, right. you know, but then now going to why pony has to dice hair because Ralph Macchio is a darker skinned and with dark hair. At- I don't think the hair would come out right. I think they had Pony. Well, okay. Okay. In my opinion.
0: The hair did not come out right on Pony. (laughs) It looked like trash. And you know what he actually looked like after his little make under?
1: (laughs) Wow. Make under. Is that a thing?
0: I don't know if I stole that or if I just made it up, but I like it. So his make under was very underwhelming. He looked like. It looked like a monkey's haircut. I know you're a Davy Jones fan. I know. Ooh. I just. I know you just perked up. I said Davy Jones. Yeah. He looked like like an unattractive Harry Styles. Ooh, interesting. So much. I I couldn't get over, could not get over a blonde pony and his Harry Stylesness.
1: What part? Is it his just his face looks like Harry Styles? Yeah, like the after oh. the
0: hair was colored and Johnny finds the mirror for him to look into. And I was just like, oh, serious Harry Styles look. Like Harry Styles on a really bad day, on his worst
1: day. <laughs> You're a Harry Styles fan, I see.
0: I mean, aren't we all? You're a Davy Jones fan. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that we all are Davy Jones fans. Yeah.
0: <laughs> So Kenny, have you ever bleached your hair?
1: I have. Well, not to that effect. Like I had, the year is 2003 or whatever for, and I had.
0: Oh, you had highlights.
1: Yes. So. Okay. And when I was younger, I tried sun in.
0: Oh, well, yes. Didn't we all?
1: This is why I have the theory about him not doing his hair because my hair is very dark. Mm-hmm. You know, sun in, not going to do a thing to my hair. Hydrogen peroxide is not going to do anything to my hair except for make it. Orange. Terribly orange, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm, Macho would have been orange, and that would have been weird. That's where I build my theory.
0: You're not wrong. It just it did not look good. Uh, well, look good. Pony boy, he just breaks down in tears. He's just tired and overwhelmed. Things are so mixed up. Johnny cries. They embrace, and this is when they get that beautiful golden. Is it a sunrise? Is it a sunset?
1: Sunset, probably. And this scene is not in. The theatrical release.
0: This isn't. This looks like it was shot on a soundstage. Yes. It's because it was. And the movie was filmed in Oklahoma. And the problem was Oklahoma sunsets apparently don't last very long. So hmm. they had to use a screen projection and it looked legit like a screen projection. <laughs> and this is when Pony Boy says nothing gold can stay from the Robert Frost poem of the same
1: name. I remember memorizing this poem.
0: It is beautiful.
1: Yeah, I remember memorizing this poem as a child, as a kid, and not understanding a word. Just not getting her hardest hue to hold. Now it makes sense, but 40 years later, now it makes sense. But
0: And the idea that these boys at 16 and 14 would get it. I don't know. Maybe they're in honors English, and I don't know. (laughs) I think that Pony's a good student, so it could happen. Yeah. The boys enjoy a moment of peace, looking at the sunset. The the whole film is really just, it's like a love story. It's a love story of friendship, of brotherhood. And this is the real moment where you get the true intimate connection of their friendship. They've been through some shit together. This like singular, small moment of peace. Their life is just in chaos,
1: it does look like a sound stage and it looks obviously put on but it's like like a play like you don't go into it a play It look like a play. I don't go into a play and go geez, Like this is a, <laughs> this looks like it's fake. I don't it's like, know.
0: It's Francis Ford Coppola. I expected a little more but that's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I'm not going to tell him how to make movies unlike you, Kenny. Right,
1: right. That's my job. <laughs> to question his uh, every decision. Mm. I don't know.
0: So a few days later, Dally arrives and uh, he gives Ponyboy a letter from Soda Pop saying Dairy didn't mean it and he should really consider turning himself in. And Dally takes him to the Dairy Queen where a young Sofia Coppola harasses him for a time.
1: <laughs> he has this moment where he sits back and he already calls out Pony about his blonde hair. Like, look at this blondie, man. There's a moment where he's sitting back and they're talking about other things. And then he goes, I can't believe this guy with his hair, man. It's such a natural, like uh he's so delivery. good. You know
0: what? He's the best one in this film.
1: Yeah. By far. There's those little things like that. That that just if you remember them, you go, Wow, this guy's really natural, very believable.
0: Yeah. So Dallas tells the boys that Cherry said she'd testify in court that they acted in self-defense because the socias were drunk and harassing them. And this is when Johnny decides that he wants to turn himself in. When they arrive back at the church, riddle me this, Kenny, why the hell is the church on fire? Is it because someone dropped a cigarette? I, I think that was alluded to. Yeah. Why are there a bunch of kindergartners in there while the adults are outside? Why did the adults even let the kids go? That place was a tetanus death trap. <laughs> it was dangerous as hell in there. Right. And the adults are like, oh, my God, there's kids inside. Oh, my God. Go inside and get the kids.
1: Right. There's 15 kids in there. <laughs> and apparently there's not a lot to do. And they're on a field trip. And they see this abandoned, dilapidated church. They're like,
0: go ahead. Yeah, there's no rusty nails in there. Or,
1: <laughs> or rodentia.
0: Yeah, there's like owls in there. There's like-
1: maybe they found the baloney. They're like, there's baloney in here.
0: Next. A woman yells that there's kids trapped inside. You know, they're just all standing outside waiting. And Ponyboy and Johnny spring into action, and Dally reluctantly follows yes. to help. While they're in there rescuing kids, the roof collapses. In a very poor special effects yet again, and Johnny is critically injured. His back is broken. He's severely burned. And uh, Coppola wanted more fire, more fire, and things got a little bit out of control. And um, they needed to rely on the local fire department that was standing by to help him out. Because, oh, wow. yeah, at the hospital, <laughs> we see Pony Boy just covered in like soot, right? right? And he's smoking a cigarette, like the irony, iconic. And the trio are considered heroes for saving the kids. Yes. So, this is when Derry busts in, looking exactly like Johnny Castle in Dirty Dancing. He's wearing all black. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Yeah. He busts it in along with Soda Pop and they hug Pony Boy. And it's like, I thought I lost you like mom and dad. And it's this very, you know, tearful, lovely, brothery moment.
1: So, there's a couple things that I want to highlight here. Yeah. Is when- when Pony's sitting there smoking the cigarette with the soot and they wheel Johnny by, and it's obviously Johnny's in, in bad shape, real bad shape. And then they they're wheeling Dally by who's a oh weight. He points at Pony. and goes, you have to try a stunt like that again. I'm going to kill you. And they, <laughs> it, it's just, it's just a comedic moment and it's really quick. And Pony just doesn't even like really have a reaction to it. That, Cause then it rolls right into the brothers coming in,
0: but the brothers coming in. So there's going to be a rumble to settle the score once and for all between the Soches and the Greasers and no weapons. Tupit and Ponyboy go to get food and Pony is pulled aside by a Soch, Randy. And he's distraught about the death of Bob and he understands that Johnny might die. He recognizes how senseless it is. He says, you can't win. You know that? It doesn't matter if you whip us. You'll still be where you are at the bottom. And we'll still be the lucky ones at the top with all the breaks. Greasers will still be greasers and Soch's will still be Soch's. It doesn't matter. My question is, if it doesn't matter, then what are we even doing here? Why the rumble? Or is it that he recognizes it doesn't matter, but the larger Soch mentality isn't there yet? Pony realizes it doesn't matter. We learn later that Johnny surely realizes it doesn't matter. Or do they stand alone in this thinking?
1: When I think about it, in a sense, I think they know it doesn't really amount to anything, but it's just something for them to do. Like,
0: wow, Oklahoma is a boring place.
1: <laughs> it's, you know, between field trips to dilapidated uh, chapels and churches, and you just fight just because it doesn't, to a smaller degree, obviously. I mean, you think about all the dumb things you did. At, well, let me rephrase that Think about all the <laughs> the dumb, meaningless things that I did between the ages of, you know, 13 and yeah. 17, like senseless, just like wh- why it's like, there's no, to what end. And in the
0: end, there are no winners as we find out because they go to uh, visit Johnny in the hospital and Johnny looks bad. Like he's in a lot of pain. He's in traction. He's paralyzed. And Johnny says, I used to want to kill myself all the time, but 16 years ain't going to be long
1: enough.
0: You know, there's just so much I haven't seen yet. And it's sad. And, and I maintain the acting is not good. (laughs) (laughs) here.
1: I am not that harsh on Machio. I I I mean, you're
0: not, I can tell.
1: I really, I think, you know, when he's, his voice is hoarse and he's kind of like out of breath. And now it's a little bit much when he does, you know, when, the nurse comes over and says, Johnny, it's your mother, you know. I don't want to see her. It's not like a and he goes, Tell him to leave you. And that faints. Yeah. He faints. And
0: did you know the nurse that tells them your mom is here is S. E.
1: Hinton? And I knew S E Hinton was a nurse. Was she that? She was that nurse. She was was that
0: nurse. nurse. And when they visit Dallas, this is when they all talk about the rumble and and Dallas is like, do it for Johnny, man. Do it for Johnny. Oh,
1: yeah. That's huge.
0: Classic.
1: That's like T-shirt worthy. Do it for Johnny.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: What we didn't highlight was that that butterfly knife that Tubid has was a big thing. It was a big.
0: I think that's a Filipino knife. I forget what it's
1: called. Oh, uh-huh. I think you're right. I used to have, well, I knew people who had one. I think my brother had one, but we'd spend time trying to unravel it. Like, you know,
0: like be cool with it mm-hmm. and be
1: cool, be cool with it. The whole thing was one side's not sharp. So as long as you're on the good side of the, of the <laughs> handle, you're okay. You can do the whole okay flipping it around and not get hurt. So I remember that was a big thing in the eighties. Like, Ooh, a butterfly knife. You know, that's, that's awesome. Very badass. To do what? I don't know. But to sharpen pencils, something. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to do with it. You're not going
0: to. stab a Soch?
1: Yeah. As much as I wanted to recreate movies by eating the foods that they ate and, you know, wearing the clothes that they wore. Uh, killing somebody with a knife was probably a bridge too far.
0: Good call, Kenny. Like, mm. like, like even you realize that in your younger years. Yeah.
1: In between bites of Captain Crunch sandwiches. I'm like, mm. <laughs> I still don't think I'm gonna stab somebody yeah, with a knife. I'm not
0: gonna do it. Not today if I can
1: if I can help it. Not today. But Tuesday.
0: <laughs> Maybe. I'm free.
1: I'm free Tuesday. I mean
0: Do it for Johnny, Kenny. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's the night of the rumble and Pony Boy, he looks like shit. He has a fever. He's not in good shape, but he wants to go, even though he knows something terrible is gonna happen. The greasers they arrive at the field. They're pumped. They're howling. Tom Cruise's character is seriously the most annoying one. Did you know during filming, Tom Cruise got his script for Risky Business?
1: He was on his way. I heard that there was conversation, at least this is what I read, that Tom Cruise talked to Diane Lane saying, Why don't you play the role, which would eventually go to Rebecca De Uh-huh. I don't know if, if, if Tom Cruise had dominion to cast the movie, but. Because she was only like 17. She's like, oh, my dad's not going to let me play a hooker.
0: Yeah, not yet. Maybe not later yet. in your career. Not yet. Yeah. The Sochas show up. Dallas shows up. He's pumped. He's ready. It begins to rain. Everyone's fighting. It's muddy. It's crazy. And uh, the Sochas, they're losing. So they end up retreating. And they're little madras in their letterman jackets. And And once the fight is over... Dallas takes Pony to see Johnny in the hospital. Johnny's in rough shape. They try to kind of lift his spirits by telling him, like, hey, we won. We won the rumble. And, and Johnny replies, you know, it's useless. It's useless. And this is when he tells Pony Boy to stay gold and dies. Thoughts?
1: Um, yeah, it's very sad. And, you know, Pony reacts. And then it's really sad when Dally reacts, is just uh Matt Dillon's face is just so expressive and yeah. it's just says it all. It's just like, don't die on me now. Like, come on, man.
0: Because now it's over. I mean, presumably right now, like it's done.
1: Yeah. The music swells and it's just, that's the part that always gets me was is the close up on Dally when it happens and he kind of mm-hmm. reaches out for his hand and he's like, mm-hmm. come on, man. He snaps out of it. Like all of a sudden he punches the wall. Then you see him kind of slump and then,
0: I mean, yeah. I mean, he he goes crazy. He fires the empty gun at the doctor. Pony arrives home and tells everyone that Johnny died and that Dallas is going to blow. So we see Dally in the convenience store, right? Very tense, tense yeah. scene.
1: When he's in the convenience store, I always thought it was really cool when he rips the magazine. Yes.
0: Very defiant. Oh. Mm-hmm.
1: And as he's walking back, he's running his hands yes, across he's all the
0: mess and stuff up. Like John Bender in the library.
1: Exactly. Wow. <laughs> you got it. You got it completely. And then he pulls out the gun and then all that.
0: And he robs it. Right. And then he runs away and the convenience store worker shoots at him and he makes it to a payphone. He calls Pony's house for help. And then he sees, oh my God, I've been shot and bleeding. And soon after the cops are after him and, and he ugh, waves his empty gun at them. They don't know it's empty. Right. They shoot him. Of course they shoot him. And the gang arrives just as Dallas is shot. And his last word was pony. Yep. And pony faints. I mean, when he's shot, Daryl yells, you stupid idiot, you stupid freak.
1: And that whole scene is not part of the original theatrical version.
0: Oh, it's not.
1: It ends with Dally rolling over and the guy standing over him. I'm watching it and I am going. Pony faints. "Mm, It's a little heavy. It's a little heavy handed. 22 minutes.
0: This kid is 14. He already lost his parents. How much therapy is this kid going to need? There's the trial, the sweaty trial where everyone's sweaty and they're showing close ups of clocks. He's found not guilty. So then he is able to go back to school. In the next scene, he's at school looking really cleaned up, no longer really looking like a greaser. And Cherry sees him and ignores him just like she said she would. And a teacher pulls him aside and says like, hey, your grade's in trouble, but I recognize that you've been through a lot. And if you can write this amazing paper, I'll, I'll pass you. And okay, is the soda pop running out the door upset part of the 22 minutes? Mm-hmm. Okay, because back at the Curtis house, Darius tough on Pony again. Soda freaks out and runs away. So much running away. And they chase after him. And Soda's like, I'm tired of being in the middle. I can't choose sides anymore. And- and group hug, kumbaya.
1: That was the trigger for me to go. Hmm, this acting is this one's rough for me. Rob Lowe's whole monologue that is, is
0: rough. real acting chops, Kenny. Ooh,
1: I think it's his first gig. I think. I think. This I think is his- it
0: was his first gig. Man, was he pretty in this movie? So good looking. Yeah. I think he's probably a really good actor now. He's had a really long career, and he hasn't aged at all. And
1: He had this huge renaissance and he's got all kinds of gigs, you know, in his later on in his life from what was it? Parks and Rec. And then he had um, a few other things like he had a fire. He was in one of the fire um, dramas and obviously went on to do some movies. But that particular scene, I was like, oh, God, this is bad. This is bad.
0: I understand why it was cut.
1: Yeah. Literally part of the 22 minutes, Dally dies. They're standing over him. There's no screaming. There's no fainting. It cuts right to the trial. Nope, that's not even in the scene. No trial. See, Thomas Howe is sitting at his desk.
0: Okay, he's not even at school?
1: No, we don't even see it. We don't even see it yet. So that's like a new movie to me. I'm watching it going, what is
0: this? So in the last scene, of course, he's sitting back at his desk.
1: He finds the letter.
0: That Johnny had written to him. And this is when Johnny's face comes on the right side of the screen. (laughs) Like those really big Olin Mills photos Mm -hmm. with the silhouette. Mm-hmm. Talking to him, reading the letter, and it mentions the Frost poem. And and he says, when you're a kid, everything's
1: gold. Now, here's my connection to The Breakfast Club, which I thought of. When Allison asks the question, when you get older, when you grow up, your heart dies. I mean, when Johnny's like, when you're a kid, it's like being gold. That's my contribution of Breakfast Club outsiders.
0: No, it's true. Because then he says, tell Dally there's still a lot of good in the world. I don't think he knows.
1: I still get chills just hearing that line. I Even he when you just said it, I was knows. just like, I don't think, you know, and they, they cut to Dally's character with the sunglasses and the car, you know,
0: and the, the silhouette work on the other side of the screen. Yes. Looming over. Yes.
1: See, are we sure about Francis Ford Coppola? You I know, mean, are we, are we sold on his ability to make <laughs> the film? I remember still even then going, Hmm, this is kind really? of, a, it's kind of a fifties effect. And maybe that's what it was. Maybe I mean,
0: that was the whole vibe. Yeah. And we're back to the beginning.
1: Yes, the music starts and it's sad, and it's uh, again stay gold. I, I I would ask that you give that a little another shot. I don't know.
0: I mean, the line is iconic. I just the delivery, uh, and I'm a Macho Stan. Like, yes, Daniel Larusso, all the way, all day, every day.
1: You you think his acting chops got better by Daniel? I LaRusso? mean, I
0: don't know. I was deeply moved by the Karate Kid. So that next year he had me sold in '84. <laughs>
1: I wanted to cover this part during the pod, which was obviously all these heartthrobs. We mentioned Patrick Swayze. We mentioned Soda Pop as being very attractive. Mm-hmm. You should, I think you said really pretty. Mm-hmm. So as a guy, I would sit there and as an eight year old through 17 year old, I'd, I'd compare myself to some degree to who am I?
0: Yeah. Which outsider are you?
1: Before I answer that, which one are you, or is it a combination of them? Are you pick?
0: Okay. Um, I would probably have to choose Pony because he had a sweet heart.
1: Hmm.
0: He had a pure heart. Which one did you most identify with?
1: Uh, you know, I went through my stages, obviously. You know, it's kind of similar to the John Bender thing where I think Matt Dillon from... not a, Mainly because he was a great actor in it and just had those lines and it was very... It was yes. sharp in that manner and just had this swagger about him. Mm-hmm. But... At the time, probably most related to Pony, just because yeah. he was the youngest and kind of the most impressionable. Mm-hmm. All in all, I have to say probably the Pony, but Curtis character. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's the, that pure golden heart. That's what it is, Kenny. Did you know there was a Outsiders TV show in 1990?
1: I found out through the research for this show. I mean, I'd never heard of it, never seen an episode.
0: It lasted one season. Billy Bob Thornton was in it, oh as boy. was David Arquette.
1: <sighs> wow.
0: This is an interesting bit of trivia. Danny Boy O'Connor from House of Pain, he's a huge Outsiders fan. He visited the Curtis house from the film and he saw that it was in like really bad shape and it was for sale. So he and his friends got together and they bought it and they started a GoFundMe to get donations to renovate it because they want to turn it into a like museum about the film.
1: That is so cool.
0: Yeah, there's a GoFundMe. I will link it in the show notes. And um, if you feel moved, you can donate to it. It's kind of fun.
1: That is fun. At 63% Rotten Tomatoes. I I don't know. (laughs) I don't know their investment is wise. It's 80. I think it's 82% with the fans.
0: Well, there you go. The fans have spoken.
1: The fans will go to the museum.
0: Absolutely. I mean, what else are you gonna do when you're there? (laughs) So any final thoughts?
1: Yeah, I think it's a great movie. It's obviously almost 40 years later, maybe 37 years since you know I first saw it. And it still resonates with me, even despite your opinion on Stay Gold, CB Wonder, it still resonates with me. I think it's a great movie. I think it's a just a time capsule of nostalgia.
0: And you know, a lot of the social issues, like yeah. these oh, are yeah. things that are still relevant today, but the issues and themes, I think that's what has made the novel such a timeless classic and therefore the film. So, I mean, the film is just filled with so much talent and it was a really enjoyable watch and I can totally see why people love it.
1: Agreed. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm doing a, a new thing here, Kenny, where I want to ask you some lightning round questions before we Ooh. wrap things up. Yes. It's a fun little addition to the pod. This is a rapid fire thing. Okay. Pearl jam or Nirvana? Pearl jam. Best fast food fries? Uh,
1: a McDonald's.
0: Yes to both of those, by the way. <laughs> Your favorite 90s fragrance?
1: Uh, men or women?
0: Uh, ooh, you can answer for both.
1: Okay. Uh, men, it was, uh, I think nineties CK,
0: the CK one.
1: Yeah. The one that's, uh, what is that? Not, not men or women. And then it's girls, mm-hmm. I think it was, uh, Liz Claiborne, I think.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. Did you ever own a bucket hat?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: no. Oh, Okay. Okay. Good call on that, by the way. Good for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Brenda or Kelly?
1: Ooh, Kelly. Kelly.
0: What was your first car?
1: Uh 86 Mitsubishi truck. My dad's hand-me-down.
0: Nice. Were you a latchkey kid? Yes. After school snack of choice.
1: That's a tough one. Uh, I'd say uh, rice and salsa. It's a tough one. <laughs>
0: film that traumatized you most as a kid
1: a movie called fire and ice it was on cable it's about cavemen and i was walking through the living room and my parents were watching it and it was weird first concert the monkeys 1986
0: the reunion tour cool that's cool it yeah. back to davy jones okay see this last one's for me favorite elton john song
1: Ooh, um i'd have to say uh my favorite Elton John song, other than the border song.
0: Oh, I still haven't seen a rendition of the border song.
1: I will post it on my, on my main.
0: I appreciate it.
1: It sounds cliche, but it's your song.
0: Oh, that's my wedding song.
1: Oh, it's just amazing. It's, it's everything, right? It's
0: just so beautiful and simple and you chose the right answer. That's a good oh, one. Oh,
1: yes. <laughs> I guess it's not as cliche as Gilbert Road, but.
0: Oh, it's a great one. It's a classic. Yeah. Well, Kenny, thank you so much for joining me again on Season 3 and to talk about The Outsiders. I can't think of anyone that I would rather cover this film with because I know how much it means to you and I can just tell that you're just such a tremendous fan.
1: Well, thank you for having me and again, congratulations on your wonderful Season 2. It was very, uh, I look forward to every every episode and thank you for having me on. and.
0: I'd love to have you back, Kenny. And thanks again so much for joining me. And thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode. We have a Patreon. And of course, you can find us on the web at theuntitledgenxpodcast.com. We hope you keep in touch, beautiful people. Bye. Bye.
1: Bye.